Today's guest is photographer Ray Cox. Ray Cox is a professional photographer specialising in the gardens and plants of Scotland. He's a member of the Cox family of horticultural experts and authors based at Glendoic in Perthshire. Whether you know it or not, you may already have seen some of Ray's images in the pages of newspapers and magazines like Scotland on Sunday, The English Garden, Scottish Gardener, and he also contributes to many gardening books. As a keen amateur photographer myself, I was really interested to find out more from Ray about the process of locating and capturing plants and gardens. And we also discussed how he got into the profession, as well as some of the demands of his type of work and the vast amount of planning which goes into a garden shoot. I hope you find our chat as interesting as I did. Photographer who specialises in gardens, the gardens and plants of Scotland. How did I get into that? I um not the way you'd assume, given the heritage of horticulture and plants in my family. Despite that, I was not particularly interested in the gardening world until, I guess, we moved to our current house where we've been for about 20 plus years and there was a garden to start from scratch almost. So that on one side and then I, I wanted to change career. I uh, started off as a farmer then became a journalist and then decided when I teamed up with a photographer once, I find me doing that job. Instead, it looks a bit easier. It's, uh, it's, more, it's more my field. And I've always been interested in photography as an amateur before that. Um, and then once I took up photography, I wanted to do it professionally. I thought I need a niche. I need a, uh, an area of specialization. And it suddenly dawned upon me that uh, with a wealth of material and contacts from family, gardening might be uh, a, a, an area to try. And at the time, there was a wealth of gardening magazines and articles, and newspapers, and it seemed quite a good market. Also, there wasn't terribly well, Scotland wasn't terribly well represented in that. And I thought maybe my geographical situation might be an advantage. So that's when I started photographing plants and gardens and that's when I started to get interested almost through the photography first then became an interest in plants and gardens. Okay so you uh, are you uh, a bit of a gardener in your spare time then as well? Yeah we garden a lot um, we, 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 we garden on the live on the side of the Sidlaw Hills in Perthshire and it's uh, it's a labour of love slight um, love-hate relationship with it uh it's supposed to be good for you but we seem to have more aches and pains than ever but uh i'm sure we're also very healthy as well um uh, as a result of it uh but we're out there fighting with nature as well as trying to work with it uh more hours than most people would ever believe <laughs> it's quite a big garden it's on a steep slope and it's it was absolutely riddled with perennial weeds and laurel and Hawthorne and things that just uh, had established and been there forever and never never challenged. So it's not like starting from a clean slate. It was starting with the jungle and, and having to tame that jungle. But as you say, uh, you're from a very horticultural family. So presumably you've got plenty of relatives you can ask for help and advice when you need it. Yes. Uh, in terms of things like plant identification, the family being quite useful. 
early days. I'm, I'm, I'm much more knowledgeable than I was now. I'm, I've got a reasonable uh, sort of, uh, not, a, not a comprehensive knowledge, but I'm pretty good at recognising certainly genus um, and, you know, getting better at varieties and cultivars. And um, I guess the other advantage of being in the family was uh, plant material on the doorstep for photographing plants in the in the, in the woodland garden, for instance, Glendoyk, which is quite famous, um, or plants in the garden centre, so you get new varieties coming in, and that's quite useful for stock material for selling through libraries and things. Um, and then there was the contact, so I got one or two contacts early days through the family, and since then it's been myself and writers I work with who've sort of generated the contacts. But it was it was quite good for as a sort of kicking off point the the family connections just to get going mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah well it's sort of in your blood isn't it perhaps it's 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 your way of um um i suppose taking that that kind of real deep horticultural uh root if you like that's in your family and kind of going your yeah way with it perhaps as opposed to i think so i think it was probably in there it was like a, it was latent it was maybe sleeping and yeah. just needed to be woken up and uh, sure enough and now uh, quite happily talk about gardening with, you know, at a social situation as much as it's not, not just a chore. I love talking about it as well. And so how long have you been uh, garden, doing garden photography specifically then? Approaching 20 years now. Oh, okay. And what does mm. your, um, well, we'll put the COVID thing aside for a minute. What does your average day look like um, as a garden photographer? Say you're doing a shoot that day doing a shoot that day so uh, as you may be aware <clears throat> as any outdoor photographer will be aware uh, the best times of day to be photographing outside to catch the best light is the first hour or two of the day or the, f- the last hour of the day um, a couple hours of the day and obviously depending on the time of year depend on how early you need to get up in the morning to capture that so this time of year it's a bit more um, uh it's a bit it's a bit gentler in that if you want to catch the first light you you, you only need to be out there by about seven thirty in the morning i guess uh middle of summer if you're wanting to get capture the sunrise in a shot you need to be out by about four at this part of the world so i do as many evening shoots as i do mornings in fact it's much easier on the body um but i if it's a really if it's an important shoot i'll try and do an evening followed by a morning so that means burning the candle late. Uh, if you're lucky, you get something to eat. Uh, and then you get up early in the morning as well. And so by midday the next day, you're utterly exhausted. But that's maybe time to have a power nap. So that would be, that would be a shoot. If I'm away from home, then um, then I'd, I'd probably be at a B&B or something. Uh, I may I may have to skip the the second B of that because it's too early in the morning for the host to, to provide breakfast. Um, so I'll be out. and then uh, after the shoot, you probably probably stop shooting about ten o'clock in the morning because the light, if it's uh, bright conditions, will start to get too harsh then. And then um, I'll, I'll I'll maybe do another shoot that that evening, depending on where I am. Um, so I'll go to a second location and. I'm going to be away for three or four days at a time and do several gardens over that period. And then uh, head back and immediately start uploading images and sorting them out, cataloging them um, and backing them up. And uh, 
depending on when deadlines are, I will start uh, processing them. Um, I shoot on in raw format, um, which is getting into the technical side, but there's a lot of computer work involved in photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's quite so, time-consuming element of it. That, that's time-consuming, and when people uh, assume you're a garden photographer, they expect you to be out with the camera all the time. Well, I haven't worked it out, but I would say I was probably out with the camera about 20% of the time. Really? Um, and the re- yeah, and the rest of the time mm-hmm. is spent uh, with office material. Because don't forget, um, uh, well, you may not know this, but I'm kind of a one-man band. My, my wife does some of the books. but So you're doing your own marketing, your own liaison with editors, your own uh, sorting of gardens, uh, liaising with garden owners, liaising with writers. Um, and all the usual business admin is, is done by myself. So, uh, and, and then there's all, all, all the photo processing and organizing. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of off office work and the photography work uh, is obviously the core, but time-wise, that's how it's kind of split. Maybe 70-30. Okay, okay. Yeah, but that's probably something that maybe um, and people, as you say, wouldn't be so aware of, but um, mm. it's, um, it's part of the creation, isn't it? It's part of the overall creation of the, of the images to, to sort of pr- produce them afterwards somehow. It is, and, and, you, and it's a good point because uh, back in the days of film, uh, I used to shoot on uh, transparency or, or slide, and half of the job was done by the lab. So you'd send them off to a lab to get processed, and you'd have your fingers crossed and hope they did, did a good job and didn't scratch them or make a mess of the actual um, uh, developing or processing. Whereas now, you are in charge of, of, of 90% of the, the process and the other 10% but not no less important is what your clients do with the pictures after you've let go of them but the whole creative process is now mine until I send the pictures away as opposed to 50 60% of it when you shot on film and I do like having that full full control yeah when we spoke a few days ago um you said you were very much uh, at the mercy of the weather an awful lot and that can involve long I, I what I uh, perceive is that will involve a lot of a lot of planning ahead but also as you said some very short some very quick short-term um, action as well yes pla- planning is a huge part of outdoor photography especially in Scotland with uh, weather being less than dependable <clears throat> so I'm continually scanning the weather forecast. Uh, there's no day goes by without me looking at it at least two or three times. And um, I'll try and plan a, uh, a head when it comes to which part of the country I want to be in. Um, and sometimes months ahead, if you've got a client who you need to shoot a garden in midsummer, then you'll think, right, I'll be around about early July or whatever. Um, so you, you pencil that into the diary, but you never make the final decision on day and time until could be a day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try and leave it to as absolutely late as possible to, 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 so you've got the best chance of catching the weather right. Uh, you only need to uh, pre-plan too early and you're having to change everything. So if you've made plans with six or seven gardens for a trip and you've, you've made made plans with all of them and then the forecast changes the next 24 hours you've got to go round them all over again and, and replan everything else um so yeah that that's the way it tends to work uh, it's it, you plan around the weather and uh try and in the busiest seasons 
doesn't make planning for other things very easy. So meetings, which are um, involve other people, obviously, uh, it's very difficult to commit. Say, yeah, I'll be available on the 15th of September when you might be out on a shoot, which just frustrates others, but you always need to be a photographer to get it. I guess farmers may be in the same position about when they have harvest and what have you. They can't commit certain times of year to other things. And that is a bit of an issue. And holidays as well. Yeah, quite tricky. But seasonally as well, you probably always get your eyes on the seasons and thinking ahead perhaps um, to, do, do you plan, for example, to visit a certain garden in a certain season? Because you know that's when it's maybe going to peak or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. We shoot gardens all the way through the year because uh, where everyone is aware of gardens being obviously at their peak around about, let's say, mid-spring to, to mid to late summer, um, we have to provide uh, publications um, with material all the way through the year. So the uh, monthly magazine will have 12 issues or possibly more. And... and uh, newspapers uh, we've got a newspaper column which we've supplied for about 16 17 years now and they take a garden every week of the year uh other than christmas and maybe maybe new year's new years so uh we, we've got to be quite creative in the non um sort of growing months so i would say we're fine from about mid-april to mid-october then it starts to get a bit trickier uh but then on the flip side of that is you can find useful material over the quieter months Then it tends to, you tend to find a market pretty easily because the mags are always scratching around for good stuff around there. Um, and if I can find it, and one advantage of being up here is in Scotland is that we tend to still, if you look hard enough, you can find a frost in, yeah. uh, in the winter months. You've got to, again, that's very hard to plan for because you never quite know what's going to be there on the ground. Um, it can say minus four on a forecast and then you just you just wake up and it's a bit damp and rubbish so you don't want to preferably be going four hour drive to find there's no frost you want to maybe work more locally um, so the English magazines now are pretty good for taking my winter material because they so rarely get frosts now uh, so that that's been quite a good market for me over the years Hmm, that's interesting isn't it so obviously mm. um with uh the changes in the climate and things like that maybe yeah that i'd never thought of that that's maybe certain shots or certain um yeah seasons would be harder to capture but uh yeah that's yeah no no some if you you've got to find the right garden that worked in the winter a lot don't uh, a, a purely herbaceous garden which is all about um the the the, the winter sorry the midsummer flush of color they, they tend to get cut back, uh, all the bases tend to get cut back. And if there's no other features, uh, no good structure in the garden, there's nothing there. It's just flat and bare, bare, bare soil. Uh, other gardens that are planted for winter, with winter down in mind, so by putting in things that are very, sort of like, uh, have strong winter interest, like winter jasmine or um, good seed heads or whatever it is, people don't cut back the seed heads and, and, and then that's great in a frost. Or they've got good hard landscaping or good terrain or good views or all of the above are good in winter um so you've got to identify gardens that will work in winter firstly secondly you've got to convince the garden owner why do you want to shoot my garden in january it looks best in june 
<laughs> so then you have to go through the process of I am completely aware of that and um, it's just that uh, every garden looks great in June uh, very few look great this time of year January but uh, yours does and so uh, it's because of your wonderful planning and um, thought ahead yeah so they should be very that, flattered the by that shouldn't they <laughs> well absolutely and, and I think I think there's a that it, it's it takes a lot of thought to make a garden work, work all year round uh, a lot of planning and um, cle cle clever sort of stewardship of it, yeah. Uh, and um, either that or, or I'll go and shoot a garden more than once. So I've done it in the peak season and that, that'll be that done and the, hopefully the owner will be very pleased with that. And then a few years later, later you'll do it in the winter and then uh, pitch it elsewhere or, or, or get it published elsewhere. So is the majority of your work then uh, that sort of thing, garden shoots, or um, what What else do you find yourself doing? You, know, you mentioned sort of stock photography and things like that. Is that something that's quite important? Yeah. Well, I, just going back to the actual full garden shoot, there's, a, there's another uh, major market apart from uh, uh, editorial, as we call it, magazines and newspapers, uh, and, and that's books. Um, and I will be... Uh, yeah, I might as well go straight onto this. this. I do I do photo books for um, clients to private private clients tend to want them for personal use. So I'll do. Uh, and I particularly enjoy this because uh, it tends to be gardens that have all round interest, three or four seasons of good interest, and I will do a, 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 a usually a large format, beautifully printed and bound. Um, coffee table book on, on quality paper and I do the design and the layout myself and obviously a little photography and uh, you, you basically do a, a year in that garden and go back three or four times um, so you're really getting under the skin of that garden and showing it in its full potential and the clients really usually love it because it's often their life's work or perhaps 20 or 30 years time and they're thinking well They'll get to a certain age where they'll be thinking, I really want to record this in the best way I can to pass on to relatives. And, and this is what I did or we did with our, our ground. And uh, we want to be, it to be caught in its prime. So I'll go, go out of my way to, 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 to capture it in its prime in each season and hopefully under the best weather conditions. That's so I'm working on several, several of those at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, just going back to your other question, stock materials. So I sell full features through stock libraries. So, so basically they're a third party uh, agent, if you like, who will um, sell my material uh, to markets I don't necessarily have direct access to. So it may, it may be overseas markets often. So a continental market is one that my particular library has good access to. So I'll be selling stuff to Dutch, German, French, Polish magazines through them uh, they take a cut um, but once you've supplied the material with all caption then they do the work um, so it's quite nice and sometimes an article will go with that so a writer colleague will also get their cut by producing the article for it and then it'll be sold multiple times um, one of the winter pieces I did which was shot in frost a few years ago has been sold 12 times over and above what I already sold it for myself directly. So that was quite a, that was worth getting up early in the morning for and traveling three hours for, uh, to capture a fantastic 
bit more frost and that, and it's really, really done well that. Um, other stock material is literally things like uh, individual shots, which a magazine might want for a particular feature or, or a theme that they're doing. So uh, if I was a picture editor on a magazine, I would do a picture search uh, for, we're doing something on container gardening and they'll uh, go to a library um, and just put in container gardening and all the shots will come up. Hopefully some of mine will be plenty from other photographers and uh, hopefully choose one of yours. And again, um, that gets used and, and uh, the photographer gets cut and the library gets cut. Mm. So there tend to be more generic shots. There's also a lot of plant portraits. Mm. Uh, so portraits of correctly identified uh, plants with a full Latin name. So that they're often searched for by magazines and newspapers. I need a picture of a uh, azalea luteum or something. So they'll, they'll search for that and uh, yeah. So it's quite important for you to have a good sense, obviously, of um, gardening and horticulture and plant identification and things like that, because that obviously will help you with that sort of things. Very definitely. Uh, a knowledge of your subject area is absolutely essential to separate yourself from part-time uh, part, part time snappers who perhaps uh, want to take a nice picture of a poppy, doesn't really know what it is. And there are libraries out there that take generic shots, but their rates are absolutely uh, pitiful per, per shot. So I don't want to get into the different ways of that libraries operate. It's too technical for this, but uh, they have a, um, uh, the, the professional end libraries are will specialize in, in, in gardens and plants, and they will pride themselves and sell themselves as having correctly identified material where the horticultural magazines that it matters to will know they're getting a correctly identified plant which will illustrate their feature uh, or they'll be looking for a particular garden feature scene whatever it is that they know they'll find in this particular specialist library that's what separates the specialist libraries from the the, the, the sort of massive generic libraries uh, and a knowledge uh, a photographer having knowledge of what he or he she is shooting is is really uh, really important yeah so I'm a huge uh, fan of gardening magazines I read them like every month at least one probably about two or three and um, and and that's probably how I got to know your name and, and the names of other garden photographers as well because I just I just adore some of these huge spreads that you guys do and the magazines and the garden the gardens are captured in such a in such an amazing way so I was really interested in the in the process of that and you've, you've talked about about how you've got to plan ahead and everything and I understand some of these shoots need to be planned like whole years ahead in many cases you yeah. know you're ahead to capture the right season but how do you how do you go do you choose which gardens you want to shoot or does um, um a, a, an editor come to you to request something commission uh, a feature on a particular garden do you you do collaborate with writers i'm interested in that kind of process and how that works for you all all the above apply uh i for instance i was, I was approached by a magazine earlier in the summer saying uh, we're doing a feature on uh, small private gardens it's a competition where the garden owner would submit their snaps of their garden uh, and enter it as a sort of I don't know what the theme was, uh, sort of back gardens of Britain or something like that. And then the finalists would be featured in the magazine over a series. 
and then the uh, magazine would then commission photographers uh, in the geographical area that they know and trust. So I was approached by them saying, could you do a shoot at the end of July? Da, 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 da. And um, so that was them commissioning me to do a specific garden. More often than not, uh, it's up to us to find the gardens. Um, when you say you've got some of the, some of the magazines, you've got to work a long time ahead. Um, how's this precise? So one of the top UK magazines that specializes in gardens, um, I have a relationship with them where I will pitch an idea to them Right about now, right about this time of year, uh, when I say an idea, I'll, a selection of ideas, maybe sort of th say 15 ideas for garden features or gar um, sort of, uh, standalone garden features on gardens or a themed piece or a nursery or something like that. And uh, she'll come back and say, the editor will come back and say, uh, can we take these X number? Um, and then I'll shoot them next year for use the following year. So from finding the idea i might have found that a year ago as well so it might be three or four years between the time you found the garden the time you convince the garden owner that it's uh it's the time to do it uh some of them it's a slow burn you, you it's not ready yet or they're not happy with this part of the garden or planting too young or they have to convince their husband or whatever it is uh, uh or there's a garden designer involved that sometimes a bit precious about things looking absolutely perfect I mean, I could give you examples of where a garden has appeared five or six years after when I first started showing interest in it. So sometimes it can be a long, long process. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not the best paid profession in the world. So you've got to love what you're doing. Um, and if you go into sort of man hours of how many, you know, everything you've put into that process happening, it probably ends up being um, about the minimum wage. But uh, but I love doing it, and once you've got a system, there's always checks coming in from materials you've done. It's just the long lead-in. So when you, when you start, even if I was to start being a photographer now, you may not start seeing some sort of proper income for, for a year or two because of, of the delay in, in the planning process. Uh, you really have to be committed and in it for the long haul to be a garden photographer you, you can't be someone who wants very quick instant results that kind of uh instant no because not on your agenda no no and uh it, the building up the contact um building up your sort of notebook of contacts is is a huge part of it because it's not just cold calling people i like the look at your garden i've signed some pictures online kind of photograph it uh, these are predominantly private spaces uh, and a garden owner might not have thought about anything of the sort. It's like they're private space, they've built up themselves and maybe not be open to the public um, and they've never been asked to do anything of the sort and it's often an intimate place around their house um, and you've got to convince them that you are a genuine person, you haven't got an ulterior motive, you will shoot the place delicately if there's anything you don't want photographed you, uh, you have to avoid that. Um, they may want a degree of anonymity uh, or vagueness of location because they'll be worried about security, all these things. And you've got to tread carefully and treat people with the sort of understanding that it is their private world. And um, so building up those contacts and then becoming quite well known and people seeing your work, that takes years and years. 
Mm. And then people recommending you, oh, Ray Cox, um, oh, he did my garden, or I saw some pictures of his, or I've seen him on social media. That takes years to build up that kind of circle of contacts and um, awareness of people, from people who you are. Mm. Well, uh, just briefly then, uh, coming back to the, sort of the present situation that we're in, how, with lockdown, everything happening in the past few months and weeks, how has that disrupted your workflow? Has it disrupted it at all? Have you had to adapt the way you do things? Yes, I mean, I, I did have to during the lockdown period, there's times where I couldn't travel at all. Um, but I, I was also on the road when there were a few other cars uh, uh, because as, as, as the restrictions started to ease a little bit because the last criteria in the kind of legislation that came out was if you cannot do the work from home and... Uh, it, it is an, it is an, an essential to your your work. Then you can travel, and that effectively applied because uh, I can't photograph gardens uh, from my office, and um, I took all the precautions possible. So I so I took the sanitizer with my mask. I didn't stop on the way or on the way back. Um, obviously, you've got to fill up with fuel, but you've got to be very you'll be you be careful there. And make sure you you sanitize a lot, and then you get there. You bring your own food. You don't stay over anywhere. You pre-organize with the owner that there's no need to come into contact uh, with them because you've organized everything on the phone or email. And then, um, and then you go straight back home. So, and a lot of these places are on big, wide open spaces in the, in the countryside. So uh, the, the, the risk to anyone else or to me was, was very, absolutely minimal. So I, I was in a kind of line of work, which was quite lucky compared to some people who had to shut down their business obviously um you know the sort of uh hostelry kind of um and and tourist industry you can you, i really feel for them but I, I think my line of work was was easier than some mm -hmm. so i managed to I, I had to cut i had to cut out uh trips that would required overnight stays um so i, I did but they'd be postponed till next year and hopefully that will uh they'll, they'll still happen mm -hmm. So you must have photographed some amazing gardens then all over the country because you work in England as well as Scotland, don't you? I do. Um, and in fact, that's going to be increasing. Um, I, uh, I, I expect over the next years because of just new work that's coming south of the border. Uh, the reason I've predominantly stuck to Scotland uh, to date is because my newspaper work only takes Scottish material. So if I'm going to travel uh, to uh, far-flung parts of Scotland, uh, it's fine because I've always got the newspaper material there to kind of half pay for the trip. Uh, if I go south of the border, then I don't have the newspaper as a backup um, and second as a secondary market. So there's a bit more risk involved and there's more mileage. And uh, one thing to, to, to remember is that I would say the vast majority of these shoots we do for magazines and newspapers we have we have to pay for all our own expenses garden photographers so that's a major part of our outgoings um bed and breakfasts um travel costs and uh and, and subsistence on, on route that's that's very rarely covered by the client if you're shooting for editorial and um of all these places that you've been do you have a particular favorite is there a favorite garden in scotland for example that you love to visit um at a, a particular time of year at any time of year for example 
or or a particular. I gotta be careful. Style, yeah. Or a style, perhaps. It's even perhaps like showing partiality. Sure, then. sure, yeah. No, no. Uh, yes, exactly. Because if I mention uh, X, Y, and Z, then uh, <laughs> A, B, and C are going to be upset. Let's um, not offend anyone. Uh, <laughs> Scott, no, no. Scott, Scotland is uh, absolutely spoiled um, in terms of great gardens. Uh, and I think my brother did an analysis in one of his books as per capita or something. It's just one one of the uh, most amazing destinations for for garden visitors. You got you just you got such a great um, range and abundance of great gardens and, uh, and and it's great to be sort of part of that scene um, I'd say there's specific counties that have uh, particularly strong a strong sort of um, portfolio of gardens um, but I mean I can reel some off for you just the top, top of my head mm -hmm. um, there's the sort of great just a randomly late herbaceous um, like Cambo um, Cambo and Fife uh, I was that came up into my head because I've just been there. I've been there many times, but I've just been there last month, and this sort of ornamental potage and um, step planting and things. Uh, it's absolutely staggeringly beautiful. Um, that's one example. Uh, just down the road from there is a is a, is a, a garden called Wormston House, and just on the Five Coast as well, East Five Coast, and the combination of the planting and the the, the range, the, the, the kind of um, different garden areas are all, all very distinctive and the hard landscaping is second to none and um, they've put a lot of investment in there and done a, done a great job and they've got a couple of young gardeners and it's great to see, you know, young blood in gardening um, and uh, the owners are very pleased with them and, uh, and great lads, really full of enthusiasm and inventiveness and so there's that and then I guess just jumping to spring there's uh one or two great woodland gardens and one of the ones that jumps out to me is um sticks out for me is probably um corsic house down in dumfrieshire which is i think there's a way to do a woodland garden uh they've opened up big spaces is there's, there's water running through the whole thing there's ponds there's views there's there's focal points a lot of woodland gardens are too overcrowded um, and overplanted, and there's not there's there's no room to breathe within them. It's just there's plants right up to your face all the time. Uh, so that's a garden I would recommend if you like that sort of thing. And then there's lots of lots of small gardens and back gardens, and which I love. But uh, I guess there's only so much time. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. Thanks very much to Ray Cox for chatting to me about garden photography. Perhaps like me, you'll be taking an even closer look at the images in the garden magazines now with a new awareness of just what goes into those perfect shots. If you want to follow Ray's work or get in touch with him, you can go to his website, rcoxgardenphotos.co.uk or you can find him on Facebook and Instagram and all the relevant links are in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at scottgardenpod or send a message to scottishgardenpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be happy and well in your garden. Goodbye.